All right, all good morning. Welcome. It's great to see you with us this morning for the second week of our Teach Us to Pray Lenten course. This is uh, our third course. This is a little confusing, but it's our third course in our overarching adult formation pathway called the Way of Christ. You can see the Roman numeral three there highlighted on the top of the handout. That's what that means. That's letting you know there are some more courses to come. But this is the third kind of core course in this Way of Christ curriculum that we are building. And this course, as you all have heard, and if you were here last week, you know, is about prayer. It's, it's titled Teach Us to Pray, and we are looking at how to pray, how our Lord taught us to pray. Uh, and this morning in particular, we're going to look at prayer in the Psalms and look at the Psalms in a little bit more depth and examine how the Psalms teach us to pray. And lucky for you all, you don't have to listen to me teach this whole time because our very own Wendell Kimbrew, who is uh, something of a Psalms expert himself, is going to help me teach this class today. So I'll give a bit of a theological introduction to the Psalms, talk a little bit about um, the taxonomy or kind of the types of Psalms in the Psalter, and offer a few reflections on the Psalms. And then Wendell is going to come up for the second half of this class and talk about some of his experience with the Psalms um, and give us some of his own reflections. And as you know, Wendell writes the refrains that we sing for the Psalms here in Ascension Chapel. So he's done a lot of work with the Psalms. He's got a lot of wisdom to share with us from his work with the Psalms. And so uh, we're going to get to be the beneficiaries of that this morning. Uh, So that being said, let's open briefly in prayer and then we'll go ahead and get started. Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have taught us how to pray um, by giving us the Psalms. And we ask that as we examine the Psalter this morning, as we think about the Psalms and the words that you've given us to teach us to pray, that you would um, enliven our hearts with faith and hope and love, that you would um, teach us to pray through your word, that you would give us the words to say, that we might say them back to you from our hearts and truly pray. We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so by way of introduction, we want to just jump into what the Psalms are, and then I'll reflect a little bit on how we might read the Psalms or what they're for. So in the very first place, Psalms, simply put, are sung poetic prayers. So we've got this big book of Psalms, kind of right smack dab, if you just open your Bible relatively to the middle of the book, you're probably going to land in the Psalms. And you'll see that those psalms are arranged in a particular way, kind of unlike a lot of the rest of Scripture, that they're kind of arranged by verse or metrically. And if you look in your prayer book, where we don't have the entirety of the Scriptures, but we do have the whole of the Psalter, you'll see the same thing. There's a little asterisk. Uh, And that arrangement of the psalms is keying us into the fact that the psalms are a particular kind of prayer that's arranged both poetically and actually originally arranged to be sung in most cases. And so uh, that's another reason why it's going to be great to have Wendell speak to us a little bit about the Psalms, because uh, it's hard to talk about the Psalms without talking about singing them and what that means and why we do that. And the Psalms have been a part of the church's worshiping life going back to before Jesus, going all the way back to the the worshiping life of Israel. These prayers, these Psalms, Uh, were a crucial part of Israel's worshiping and prayer life. And we won't get in today because of time reasons. We don't have enough time to get into all of the kind of details of the construction of the book of Psalms and all of some of the authorship questions, but they're especially attributed to David. So about 
70 some of the Psalms are actually attributed to David in a little superscript, and they have this special relationship to the history of Israel, Israel's worshiping life, and to the, the monarchy, to David himself. Uh, and that's an important thing for us to note as we as Christians take these Psalms up as prayers, is that these are, uh, these are Old Testament prayers. These are prayers of, um, of sort of Israelite religion and faith, and, and especially into the Second Temple era, but they are also the prayers of the church. We kind of take them up in continuity with the Old Testament use of these psalms. And the psalms as a category, I think, are kind of paradoxical because they're both human words. These are prayers composed by humans, and yet they're God's words to us to teach us to pray. And so like the rest of scripture, but I think in a particularly concentrated way in the psalms, the psalms function as God's word for us, and they're human words, and yet God gives them to us. They sort of become God's words that he then gives to us to pray back to him. So if we think about the way that children learn language, we learn how to speak by having our parents speak to us and then repeating those words back to our parents. And slowly over time, an entire kind of linguistic world is formed through that process of hearing our parents speak to us and then speaking those words back to them. And I think that's a beautiful picture for what the Psalter is for the Christian life of prayer, that God gives us these words to speak and that to learn to pray, we speak these words back to God. And so we'll talk more about the importance of praying in the Psalms, but, uh, but at a very basic level, these are kind of the basic instructions for how to pray and to shape our imagination for what prayer looks like as Christians. Two things I want to say about the Psalms at the outset uh, related to the way that they're kind of comprehensive in two ways. The first, the Psalms are comprehensive of all of Scripture. So there's a wonderful letter that uh, St. Athanasius, this uh, early church father, wrote to Marcellinus, this other he wrote this letter on the Psalms. And there's lots of great stuff in this letter. You can find a PDF on, on the internet if you just Google it. It's worth reading. But uh, at the opening of the letter, he's talking about the Psalms and why they're worthwhile and why, should we, why we should consider praying them. And the second quote really uh, sums up the kind of comprehensiveness of the Psalms in this first sense in relation to the rest of Scripture. He writes, All Scripture of ours, my son, both ancient and new, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching as it is written, he's referencing there 2 Timothy 3.16. But the book of Psalms possesses a certain winning exactitude for those who are prayerful. Each sacred book of scripture supplies and announces its own promise, as in the rest of the scriptures. Yet, the book of Psalms is like a garden, containing things of all these kinds. And it sets them to music, but also exhibits things of its own that it gives in song along with them. And so Athanasius goes on in this letter to show how all of these other kinds of genres of scripture, law and prophecy and wisdom writing uh, and historical teaching and historic history, all of these things are contained in the Psalms and not just those Old Testament genres, but the messianic prophecies that Jesus's birth and his life, his death and resurrection are all contained within the Psalter. It's like a digest of 
of all of Scripture, and these are prayers. So there's something especially commendable about the Psalter within the context of the larger Scriptures. So on one hand, the Psalter is sort of comprehensive of the entirety of the Scriptures in the mode of prayer. And then secondly, the Psalter is comprehensive of our own lives. So Calvin, John Calvin has this wonderful little quip about the Psalms that it's, uh, the Psalter is an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, he says. That the Psalter, in all of its prayers, in the comprehensive set of prayers that we have in the Psalms, captures the entirety of the human emotional life. That anything you might be going through in your life, there's a Psalm for that, you might say. Uh, And much of the great church writing on the Psalms really consists of listing out, if you're feeling sad, here's a great Psalm. If you're sick, here's a great Psalm. That letter uh, that Athanasius wrote that I mentioned earlier, a huge portion of that letter is just listing out, here are Psalms for particular moments in your life when you need words to pray, and they're given to you in the Psalter. So the Psalter is comprehensive both of the scriptures themselves but it's also comprehensive of our own lives, um, our emotional lives, but even more the situations that we find ourselves in as Christians. And Jesus' own prayer life reflects this. Uh, Jesus quotes the Psalms in the New Testament more than any other book, and we have this, I've, I've included this scripture reference at the top of this handout on the first page in Luke 24. Jesus says in Luke 24, uh, that everything written about him in in Moses, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So the Psalms stand as this important repository of Christian teaching. And they're taken up by our Lord in his own prayer life. And Luther writes beautifully about the way that the Psalter and the Lord's Prayer are kind of integrated together. And you can see, even in our Psalm, Psalm 22 for this morning, uh, the praise of, of that psalm is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. That hallowed be thy name, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that attitude of praise we see throughout the Psalter. So thinking even about the way that the Lord's Prayer and the Psalter kind of together teach us to pray is really fruitful for our own prayer lives. So uh, moving on then, Really quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I've included on the back of the handout a taxonomy, a really basic taxonomy of the Psalms, which is to say a categorization of different kinds of Psalms. And we could spend a lot of time breaking down the way the Psalter is constructed and looking in detail at these different forms and types of Psalms. But all I want to say this morning is that there are really two basic types of Psalms in the Psalter. And then there are a bunch of different subcategories and different scholars like to sort of break these out in different ways. But the two fundamental modes of prayer in the Psalter are praise and lament or complaint. Uh, and this is something that I think Wendell's going to speak to quite a bit in his, in his time, so I don't want to go too much further here. But it is worth noting that uh, if you're trying to categorize the Psalms, about two-thirds of the Psalter are Psalms of praise or praise-oriented, and about one-third of the Psalter is psalms of lament, and that these are not fixed categories where they sort of never meet in the middle. We had Psalm 22 appointed for this morning. Psalm 22, I noted in my sermon in here, is a sort of classic lament psalm, right? That Jesus takes up the first verse of Psalm 22 on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet if you notice this morning, 
in the, the portion of that psalm appointed for us, the first line is not, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we start in verse 22, which is, praise the Lord, all Israel. So there's, there's a kind of tension and a mutual fruitfulness, actually, between praise and lament that runs throughout the Psalter. Um, one other category of psalm to note is this category of imprecatory or cursing psalms. And I note this just to bring up, I think, some of the tension that comes from praying the Psalter. So these cursing psalms, if you've read them uh, or you've probably heard them at some point in your church, they have really strong language asking God to oftentimes kill or seriously injure or bring his judgment on our enemies, on the enemy of the psalmist. And these, these psalms raise a question for us about how to pray the entirety of the Psalter and especially how the Psalter relates to our own emotional lives and to the situation that we find ourselves in. Another way of putting this question is, how do I pray a psalm when I don't feel it? Right? We have appointed psalms for us each week, uh, and maybe this morning you don't feel like praising God, and yet the psalm that's appointed for this morning commands you three times in its opening verse to praise. How do we think about that as Christians? Praying psalms that we don't feel in the moment. Is that worthwhile? Is there something we can learn from doing that? And I want to suggest uh, as a basic interpretive principle that while it's really helpful to think about the Psalms as a kind of gym for our emotions, teaching us what it looks like to be emotionally healthy Christians, uh, that there are times that actually part of that sort of workout, emotional workout that the Psalms gives to us is training us to pray, not just in ways that we feel emotionally, but praying actually because when we pray, we pray in and through Christ who prays the psalm for us. And that in some mysterious way, our access to the psalms as prayers of the church comes through Jesus himself being the one who takes these prayers up and prays them. And if our lives as Christians are bound up in Jesus' life, then to pray the Psalms on some level is to participate in Jesus' own prayer life and to pray things actually at times that we may not feel or even understand as we're praying them with the knowledge that it's actually, we're actually kind of praying those things within the life of Christ and within the kind of comprehensive uh, scheme of Christ's own prayer life, which encompasses the entirety of the human experience. And this is how the church has really always seen the Psalter. There's a great little line from Augustine on this, this handout, talking about the relationship between Christ and the church, and Christ's words and the church's words. So he says, let Christ speak then, this is the, the third quote on the front of the handout, let Christ speak then because in the church Christ speaks. And in the church, Christ speaks, the body speaks in the head, or in Christ, rather, the church speaks, and in the church, Christ speaks. The body speaks in the head, and the head in the body. So we can read the Psalms, and it's fruitful for us to read the Psalms as prayers that Christ is offering to God, to the Father, and also as prayers that we are speaking to God in Christ. And there's this kind of interplay, this sort of creative tension between our prayers of the Psalms, our taking up of the Psalms as individual prayers, 
as communicating our own emotions and our own emotional life to God, and the way that the Psalms teach us and challenge us actually emotionally through the prayer life of Jesus to bring our entire life and our emotions and our prayers into line with the kind of prayer life that God's laid out for us in the Psalms. So sometimes when we feel that tension between praying a Psalm that I'm not feeling this morning or even a Psalm that makes me uncomfortable, that's actually an opportunity to be trained in prayer in a really particular way, to be shaped actually through prayer into Christ's image. So there's much more to say here. I want to leave plenty of time for Wendell. I do want to quote, uh, to close with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the bottom on on the backside of this handout. Um, Bonhoeffer writes, related to what I've just been talking about, he puts it beautifully. This is in his little book on the Psalms. He says, it does not depend, therefore, on whether the Psalms express adequately what we feel at a given moment in our heart. If we are to pray aright, perhaps it is quite necessary that we pray contrary to our own heart. Not what we want to pray is important, but what God wants us to pray. If we were dependent entirely on ourselves, we would probably pray only the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is give us this day our daily bread, right? Uh, But God wants it otherwise, Bonhoeffer says. The richness of the word of God ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our heart. It's a great line. And then later on, he's commenting on David's authorship of the Psalms, writing, even David did not pray out of the personal exuberance of his heart, but out of the Christ who dwelled in him. To be sure, the one who prays his Psalms remains himself, but in him and through him, it is Christ who prays. There's a few better ways to think about Christian prayer, I think, than, than how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it there. So, that being said, I'm going to leave it to Wendell to instruct us for the rest of this time. Thanks, Wendell. Matt, I don't know whether to thank you or rebuke you for introducing me as a Psalms expert. <laughs> um, I definitely don't feel like I'm a Psalms expert, and I'm by no measurable standard would I be. But um, I am someone who has wrestled a lot with the Psalms and who has been deeply formed by them. And uh, so I am happy, and I really appreciate the invitation to just get to share a little bit um, of my journey with the Psalms. And you may hear a little bit of your own journey or maybe something that... um, hopefully inspires you or pushes you a little bit this morning. And if I can, I'm going to try to leave a little time for Q&A at the end. So, um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm usually over there with a guitar strapped on. I, do the, I lead the band here in the contemporary service. Um, and one of the things we do in the contemporary service is we sing a refrain with the psalm. So it's like a short chorus um, every Sunday. And um, I wrote almost all of the psalm refrains that we, that we sing. Um, and I, I started doing that in 20, it was about 2014. Um, I was in Alabama at my previous church, and my pastor asked me. Um, it almost felt like kind of on a whim. He was like, hey, Wendell, what if you wrote something for the psalm every week? You know, I was like, the, the songwriter inside of me, like, felt deep panic, 
right? Because it's just like every week write something new and then get up in front of the congregation and sing it. Like that sounds very scary. Um, But something deep in my spirit like loved the challenge of that. And just, I was like, yes, I will do that. I will, I will lean into this challenge. So for the next three years, because we followed the, the lectionary, every Sunday I was sitting with the psalm for that week and really just trying to listen to it, pay attention to what was going on, and as a songwriter, really listen to like the emotion of the psalm, because that's what songs are for, right? To help us feel and help us connect with the emotion of, of, of what we're singing. Um, and so I had this three-year journey of wrestling with the psalm each week and trying to capture it in a, in a chorus or a, a short kind of refrain that we could sing as a church. Um, at the same time, in my personal life, uh, I was in a tough season. Um, I was very stuck vocationally. I was struggling um, with my music career, um, honestly, my, my, my wife and I, Hannah, were like newlyweds, and we were having a very difficult time getting along and figuring out how to be together. And um, I was in a very tough season of life. I was struggling. So every week I'm wrestling with a psalm, and then I'm also going to therapy and I'm trying to figure out, like, what's going on inside of me, right? How do I, how do I become the person that I want to be and, and reconcile the inconsistencies between who I actually am and how I, how I act and who I believe I should be and what I, what I believe God has called me to be? And in the course of that, that time, um, I kind of ended up in this, uh, in these, they, we call them men's coaching weekends, but these like retreats where essentially um, just picture a group of guys sitting in a circle, um, kind of group therapy style with a, with, a, with a therapist leading the group, and the guys are telling their stories. They're talking about their childhood. They're talking about, um, they're talking about wounds they've experienced. Um, they're talking about great failures in their lives, like ways that they have hurt people that are important to them. Um, just this very honest, open space, um, which I had really not experienced anywhere else prior to that. Um, and I had a really, honestly, like a transformative journey in that community, learning to start telling my own story and talk about my inner life in ways that I had not before and experiencing other people doing the same thing and really experiencing a lot of love and grace like in, that, in that context. And I could not help but see what I was experiencing in this community and what I was reading in the Psalms were the same thing. The same thing. <laughs> This very honest community where we're telling our stories with emotion, with, um, with precision, you know, like really drilling down on like what did happen or why, how, why did that hurt, you know, or, or why did that happen, you know, like really getting into kind of the nitty gritty of some of the hardest 
chapters of, of these men's lives. Um, and then you turn over to the Psalms and you hear David and you hear the psalmists doing the same thing, both individually, like there are Psalms where David or one of the psalmists says, very, tells very honestly like a way that they failed or a way that they have experienced hurt or harm, but also corporately, like we as a, like, as a people, you know, have failed or we have experienced extreme abuse at the hands of like the Babylonian, you know, um, uh, the word coming to my mind is horde, <laughs> but you know, uh, their whole civilization was like, was like sacked by, by, by the Babylonians, you know, and there's Psalms about that. So, um, this is how I got into the Psalms. <laughs> Um, and I want to just, I want to read a, this is kind of my like thesis statement that's kind of come out of this journey um, in just how I approach the Psalms and how I think about them. I'll read it a couple of times and then I'll try to try to kind of break it down and explain a little bit. Um, I believe the Psalms are God's invitation to us to tell our stories more honestly bringing our emotional life into conversation with God and with our community so that we can be formed into mature people who are capable of genuine love. Now, I'll read it again because there's, there's a lot there. But The Psalms are God's invitation to us to tell our stories more honestly bringing our emotional life into conversation with God and our community so that we can be formed into mature people capable of genuine love. Let me talk a little bit about emotion. Because particularly for me in my journey, this is one of the places where the Psalms were very challenging to me. And I think it may be the case for, for some of the rest of us in the room as well. Um, we tend to have kind of um, complicated relationships with our feelings. In fact, I'd say a lot of us, we tend to have like sides of ourselves emotionally that we like and sides of ourselves that we don't like. You know, parts of, parts of, our, parts of our spirit, parts of our emotional life that we would just as soon kind of flush down the toilet and be done with, you know. <laughs> And um, uh, the reality is your, your emotional life cannot be healed and transformed if it can't be talked about and it can't be shared and it can't be brought kind of out of darkness and in, into light. And so this is why I think the Psalms are so challenging to us and why there are certain Psalms that we actually like, would rather just turn the page and move on to the next one. The Psalms are often inviting us to feel things that they're in there somewhere. Those feelings are in there somewhere because we're all human. But they are very uncomfortable for us, maybe because of our family of origin, the ways that we, things that were acceptable to say or do or be in our families, maybe because of the culture we live in. Um, Americans, we tend to be, we tend to like happy, positive energy, you know, we tend to kind of welcome that and we don't, nobody wants to be Debbie Downer, you know, <laughs> um, 
And I think we have a very like fractured relationship with anger, which I'm, I maybe can talk in a little bit more about later. But I think it's just worth saying out loud um, because, frankly, I needed to hear this as a 30-year-old when this journey kind of started for me. Emotions are not bad. Think of emotions um, like uh, flares that, sh- that indicate what's going on inside of you. They just are there. They're, they can lead to bad things. They can lead to good things. But the emotion itself is just part of being human. It's part of being made, frankly, in the image of God. You read the scriptures and God is described, he describes himself throughout the scriptures as an emotional being who, who feels and responds. And then you look at Jesus, the, the new creation of humanity, right? The image the true image of God, what we are to be kind of in the, in the new heavens and new earths, new earth. And, um, and Jesus, you know, uh, very quickly in the gospels is making a whip, you know, and angry at the injustice in the temple and chasing the money changers out of the, out of the temple, like doing things that to us, frankly, would feel really alarming. And like that guy's got an anger problem, right? (laughs) Like kind of alarming, you know? Um, but Jesus is this picture of emotional wholeness and of a true human made in the image of God whose emotions don't lead to sin, but they lead to righteousness. They lead to right action. Emotions are not bad. Um, the Latin word that emotion comes from is just, it's, it, emotion is it's that, it's that which precedes motion, right? It's like, and I think there's a little insight in that, right? We like to think of ourselves as kind of like driven by our intellects and our knowledge as people who like, you know, you learn something and then you go do it, right? That might be true for like math, you know? Like you learn math and then you go do an engineering problem and solve That's So there's areas where that is the case. But when you talk about like, emotional, like we talk about a relational behavior, um, our emotions are that which precede action. Like we live out of our hearts, like it or not, whether what comes out is, is beautiful or ugly. Um, we are people who are driven by and behave out of our, out of our emotional cores. Once again, I want to say, and maybe I said this earlier, we, we do not, though, we do not reach this kind of Christ-like um, place of emotional maturity by telling our emotions, um, well, I'd use the language of shoulding, um, shoulding our emotions, like I should feel this, I shouldn't feel that, I should feel this, I shouldn't feel that. The, the invitation to maturity that God offers us is about learning to be honest. And it's about learning to be honest both with God and with our community. And you think about the Psalms, um, they were, they were written, we, we don't know that much about like how they you know, were formed and, and whatnot, but we know they were sung in church, essentially. Like these were public prayers and public songs. And they are, um, they are a little scandalous, <laughs> right? But it's, so it's not just about us learning how to like have a private prayer life 
with God where we say, God, I'm really angry, or God, I'm really sad. But there's actually like a publicness to this acknowledgement that we feel anger. Like we feel often even rage, right? Um, And we may not like where that goes, but it is nonetheless like a real part of what it means to be human. So think of the Psalms as kind of like, and Matt was using this language too, which I love. Think of the Psalms kind of like a gymnasium for your heart. Okay, and this gets at this idea of formation. What, what would happen if I went to the gym every day for the next year and I was there for an hour, but all I did were bicep curls with my right arm? <laughs> I mean, picture me, you know, truly, try to picture what I would look like, you know, by like November. I, the, the best I can come up with is I, I would be like, I'd probably, I don't know if I'd be bent this way or this way, but like my back would be totally out of alignment, you know. I would have this massive right arm, you know. Um, I would probably have difficulty walking just because of how out of sort that would get my whole like posture, right? So it's like, great, go to the gym, great. But it really matters what you do in the gym, right? And so this is, this is what I really believe the Psalms are like. For us as people of God who come to church and who come, come to worship and have a prayer life and do, do devotional things. It's like, that's the gymnasium of, the, of where our hearts are formed. And um, I think we, we all can kind of see a picture, and I can see this of myself, like a younger version of me, like I was like that guy who was just walking around doing right arm bicep curls. And the bicep curls were like, praise God, everything's good here, I got this, you know, don't look too closely behind the curtain over here, don't ask me why I seem really mad sometimes, you know, like, I got this, you know, I'm just like cranking, cranking out the bicep curls. And I think a, a life where we try to, um, where we try to just come to God with kind of what we think are the good parts of our lives, the happy, positive emotions, um, it leads to us being kind of deformed. Um, and I want to close, I I close with a picture. Um, because, because there's a beautiful picture for us in, in the Scriptures of what it looks like to be someone who's been in the, in the gym of the Psalms and whose heart has been worked out by repetition of these prayers and doing so very honestly. And that's, that's the Virgin Mary. If you think about Mary, such a, such a picture of life for us, right? Now, most of us are not going to be like spontaneously pregnant. But is it not true? We cannot control what life throws our way. Like, and all of us will have a chapter of life where we will receive something that we do not, we did not see coming. And frankly, we might not want it to be there. And when you look at Mary, the way she responds, she responds with courage. She responds with hope. She responds with faithfulness and openness to what God has, has invited her to do. And then she pours out this prayer. 
And that prayer, it's a beautiful prayer. Go read it. It, it's, it is saturated with the language of the Psalms. It's like Mary spontaneously composes her own psalm right there on the spot. And I just think that's such a, that's such a beautiful image for us to think about. We want to be like Mary. We want to be the kinds of people whose hearts have been deeply formed to be angry in appropriate ways, to be, to, to, as Paul says, to weep with those who weep, to be capable of grief, of going to the dark and hard places with, with others and with ourselves when we need to, to be able to rejoice, you know, to celebrate when it's time to celebrate, like, and to be, be able to receive whatever challenges, adventures that God sends our way, and to respond with courage, hope, and faithfulness. That's what we want. And, and, and I believe the Psalms are just such a, such a gift to us um, to tell our stories more honestly and to be formed into that, that kind of image. Thanks for listening. I, think, I don't think we do have time for Q&A, right? Or, like, maybe like one question. If there's one burning question, and then it may be Wednesday night, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, the question was, of the 150, which psalm do I come back to the most? Um, Truthfully, uh, I would say some of the psalms of lament. Um, Psalm 44 is one that I come back to a lot. It's essentially asked, where are you, God? And um, that's an expression that I, I have to grow in and learn to ask of God. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Wendell. Um, yeah, please. Thank you all for your attention. Right before I dismiss you, just want to remind you, Wednesday night, we are going to continue our discussion on the Psalms in the Welcome Center with a soup potluck. And if you want to come and you want to sign up to bring soup, we would love for you to do that. We have lots of slots available. And we had a great week this last week, 15 crockpots. There's a spot to plug them all in. It was a great time. So if you want to come and participate in a further discussion on the Psalms this Wednesday, uh, please do come 6 p.m. in the Welcome Center. Uh, Bring something if you can. And if not, we'll have plenty of food for you either way. So uh, God bless you and keep you and have a great rest of your Sunday. Thanks, y'all.